0: Thank you. Whoa. I got chills. Y'all were singing. You were worshiping. I love it. Let's just, let's filter that into the 9 o'clock crew this Sunday. (laughs) And let me say this, and I'll say this in April when the men are gone on their retreat. All of you who aren't going on the retreat this, and I'm glad the gals are gone. They're going to have a great time. you be praying for them, by the way for their safety up and down the mountain from Prescott and that they have a great weekend. But everybody that's not going on retreat, you need to be here. Be here this Sunday. Help us shore that that up, because they're taking quite a few up. Same with the men in April. There's going to be quite a good group of men go out the top of the world and have a great weekend. But I need everybody that's not going here. It's going to be good in both places. Genesis 23 tonight, Genesis 23, Abraham is going to express his hope in God in a place. I want you to think about that for a moment. Abraham's going to have a place of hope. A place that says to others, I believe in God. I trust him. And believe it or not, that place is a cemetery. That place is his wife's grave. Abraham has learned and is continuing to learn to trust God through his pain learning to live out our faith even in and through our grief. God asks us to do the same thing. There are opportunities in our pain. God asks us to trust him for our provisions even before they are provided. And we see Abraham doing that as well tonight. And God asks us to trust him in his promise. Again, even before his promise is fulfilled. And Abraham's doing that in this chapter as well. So let's go back to the beginning. I I want us to see in this chapter tonight some things, in a sense, under the microscope the small things that are of importance, but I also don't want us to ever take our eye off of the big picture, and what do I mean by that? Whether it's our study in Genesis or Joshua, wherever it is, we are reminded that we, all of us, down through history, God's people, we must recognize and acknowledge that we are always part of something much bigger than ourselves and that we are simply a link on a human chain down through history. There's been many who've come before us, and there will be many who come after us, and we are just somewhere along that line of history. And God wants us to live as if. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. He wants to, us to be involved in something bigger than ourselves. He wants us to understand that we are li- leaving a legacy and a heritage behind us that will influence others, maybe for many generations. One of the verses that I use in many memorial services that I do is where in the book of Hebrews it says that Abel, though he is dead, still speaks. You understand that. If you've had someone in your life who was close to you, who meant something to you, who influenced you, who made an imprint, an impression upon you, then guess what? You continue to carry that for the rest of your life. They're still speaking to you every day. Their life is saying something to us as we live the rest of our lives, and hopefully our life will do the same to those that are behind us. That we will continue to speak, if you will, into their lives long after we're gone, as we're remembered and what we're remembered for. I say all that because if you... Look at the beginning of chapter 23. It says, Sarah lived 127 years. Then she died in Hebron in the land of Canaan. She died. She died. We're all going to die. And we need to be living as if we're going to die, not being focused on death and certainly not fearing it in any way, not being consumed by it, but realizing that we're mortal. We're only here, here for a short time. And we should then be living every day as if, this life is nothing compared to eternity because we're all going to die. That's one of the things I say at all the memorial service, every last one that I speak at. I look at everybody in that auditorium and I say, you realize at some point in your life, some pastor, some priest, some minister, someone is going to be performing your memorial service because it's appointed unto men once to die. Unless we are part of that generation that is alive when Jesus comes at the rapture, which I'm still hoping for, unless we're part of that generation, we're going to die just like Sarah died. But Sarah and Abraham left something behind. In fact, they're still speaking to us today out of the book of Genesis from their life that God has recorded for us in his word. We need to make sure that we're not living as if this life is all there is. We need to make sure that we're living for eternal things and investing in eternal things because this life is very short. Then you'll notice, Abraham went to mourn for Sarah. I can only imagine the grief. They were together for a long time. I mean, first of all, they lived longer back then than we do, so they were married and together even longer than couples could be today, even if they are married a long time. They were probably married around 100 years or so. They went through a lot together, as we know. And can I just say, God bless Sarah. Her husband put her in some bad places at times. But the New Testament tells us and lifts her up as as an example of a wife that just hung in there and just kept following the Lord and trusting the Lord, even at times when her husband was taking her down the wrong path. I don't, you know, know those who are watching and those of you who are here, if you've ever experienced the loss of a spouse. I have not. I've been with others who have. And, of course, I was with my mom at the death of my father and all that. I. It's a... It's a loss. And Abraham, though, is expressing grief, which is important. We all need to learn how to grieve losses in our life. Losses as big as someone close to us or dear to us dying to the loss of anything. We need to learn how to grieve and express that loss and not just keep it all bottled up inside. And that's what Abraham did. He took time and made time to express grief for his wife Sarah, to weep for her. And yet, because of Abraham's faith, Abraham was learning from God that even Painful experiences, even times of grief, also present opportunities. In fact, many times, our painful seasons of life or trials of life or whatever, sometimes are the greatest witnessing opportunities you and I have as Christians. Because people may not pay too much attention to us when they think that everything's going good or smooth in our life. But they might watch our life or put their eyes on us a little bit more closely when they know we're going through fire, going through loss, or something like that. Then it's like, mm, I wonder what that, how that Christian's going to respond or react to this. And so it opens up for us a great opportunity Sometimes, because again, God is working through everything and even can bring good things out of bad things. God may even be using our pain to produce in us something that maybe wouldn't have been there otherwise. See, God may use our pain many times to draw us closer to him. I found that in my life. And so Abraham here is now presented with an opportunity that he really hasn't had up to this point. He now, because of the death of his wife Sarah, is going to have an opportunity to try to purchase land in the land that God promised him. See, up to this point, God said, I'm going to give you all all this, right? But as yet, he doesn't have any of it. He He doesn't own any of it. He's still wandering around, as he will for the rest of his life, pretty much, as that wanderer, moving around, never really settled. But here now, with Sarah's death, at least he has an opportunity to finally purchase and acquire a piece of property in the promised land, to gain a foothold, to put down a footprint. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but this is a real act of faith on Abraham's part because he is choosing not to take his wife Sarah back to their native land and bury her there. That would have been the easy thing to do. That's where all of his ancestors previously are buried, back there. No. Because he trusts in the promise of God before it is fulfilled, before he even sees it, he says, I know God has promised that this will be mine one day. And though it is not mine yet, I believe that this will be our family legacy. This this will be our heritage, this land, not that land, back in Ur. So I'm going to choose to try to buy a piece of property here and bury my wife here as an act of faith, as even a commitment of faith, saying, I trust you, God, that you're going to fulfill those promises and that's exactly what we see happening God not only wants us to believe he wants us to act upon things and and express our faith even before we see things happen is there something maybe in your life right now that God is stirring in you and you're saying but God I haven't seen it yet you're you haven't moved yet. You haven't provided it yet, whatever. And God loves it when we trust him so much that we're willing to step out in faith and express our faith even though we haven't seen it fulfilled. And that's exactly what Abraham is doing here. He's saying, God, I believe you're going to give me that land even though I don't own any of it yet. That's That's good. And God wants to build that same kind of trust and faith and belief in him today as well, in his people. And maybe, again, God is providing you an opportunity in your life right now to express that kind of faith. And realize, again, that's not just something that you and God are doing. You're part of something bigger, (laughs) God may then use your expression of faith to reach out and touch other people, either by encouraging other Christians to do the same thing, or to reach out and touch an unbeliever and go, go, wow, look look at at what they're doing. And they're doing it all because they trust their God that much. I I wish I had that kind of faith, if you will, you see. So that's why verse 3 is important. Abraham didn't spend the rest of his life mourning. Now, I don't mean that he ever got over the loss of his wife. See, I personally believe that there is no end to our grieving over our loss. I think we carry the grief of our loss for the rest of our life. But we can do it in such a healthy way that though we carry the grief of our losses with us, we understand, too, because I'm not dead yet, God still has stuff for me to do. God still wants me to be productive. God doesn't want me to just sit down and quit and quit living life just because someone dies. God's allowing me to continue to live because he's still got work for me to do. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He got up. In fact, in the Hebrew, those two words literally mean he continued. He didn't stop. He got up from mourning his dead wife and said to the sons of Heth, I am a temporary settler among you. Grant me ownership of a burial site among you so that I may bury my dead couple things. One, Abraham, again, is reminding the Canaanites with whom he's living there with, I'm just a guest. I'm just a pilgrim. I'm just a sojourner. I'm not settled here. And again, I want to remind all of us, that's the way the New Testament portrays us as Christians even now on this earth. Yes, we can be settled in a certain place. We all have a home here and live here, family here and all that. God understands that. But God doesn't want us to put our roots down too deeply on the earth. Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. And God wants us to realize that this earth is not my home. This is not my final place of rest or final place of anything. I'm just passing through on my way to my real home and my eternal home. And so Abraham is a great example of that. He lived his whole life as a pilgrim, as a sojourner, as one who was always on the move to the ultimate goal. And you and I need to figuratively, we don't need to, you know, in the same way, but figuratively we need to live our lives that way too. But then he says, grant me ownership or possession of a burial site so that, you, so that I may bury my dead. God also wants us, as we're learning in the book of Joshua, to possess our possessions. And God was saying, Abraham, I've got this possession and I, I want you to begin to Possess what I want to give you. And I'm going to give it to you piecemeal. I'm not going to give it to you all at once. You need to trust me in the process and in the progression, but I'm going to start giving it to you little by little. And I want to start handing more to you and placing more in your hands. I want us to see our lives from that perspective with us and God too. God wants to hand more into our hands. He wants us to possess our possessions. But like we're learning in Joshua, I've got to put forth some effort to do that. I can't just sit back and say, okay, God, dump it in my lap. No, I've got to do my part. And Abraham's doing his part, just like Joshua and the Israelites did their part on Sunday. What is it that God still is saying, here, I I want to give this to you. Are you open to it? Are you receptive to it? Because the greatest way we can live our life is by accepting the things that God wants to give us. That's the abundant life. And this gravesite became God's down payment of a future possession of all the land that God had promised. You and I could equate this first piece of property in the promised land that Abraham's going to acquire because of the death of his wife Sarah to the Holy Spirit's presence in our life because the New Testament teaches us that the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is God's down payment of all the rest that he's going to give us throughout eternity so that we can be assured if we have the Holy Spirit, we know that all the rest is coming someday. And we can live in that hope every day because we have now the down payment, if you will. We have that first installment, and that God does that so he can give us hope and give us assurance and give us encouragement to just keep on following him. That's what he was doing here, because Abraham had wandered around and sojourned for many, many years in this land, but still didn't have a peace that he could call his own. Now he's going to have a peace that he can call his own. And oh, by the way, God brought it about through the death of his dear wife. See, again, sometimes in our pain, there's still great opportunities that God wants to bring about. And that's how God wants us to look at the painful times in our life. As not times to just quit and, and just sit down for the rest of our lives, but to realize that, yes, there's an appropriate time to mourn and grieve. And then we carried that grief for the rest of our lives. But we also, like Abraham, got to get back up and continue because God's got more for us to possess until we go to meet Jesus. And we need to then, even in our pain, start looking for those opportunities like Abraham did. So notice the sons of Heth answered Abraham, Listen, sir, you are a mighty prince among us. Literally, they're saying, you are a respected leader. Now, think about that statement. These are pagans. (laughs) They recognize the Lord's divine favor on Abraham. And we've seen this throughout our study of Genesis, where even unbelievers recognize the hand of the Lord on one of God's This is what we should aspire to as Christians, even today, even living in the world in which we are living, that even amongst unbelievers, we live in such a way that we can be respected. They might not agree with us, but they respect us because of how we carry ourselves. See, I still think that's possible. I'm very conscious of that, or try to be every day, because I'm out there amongst many days, unsaved people as well as saved people. And most of those that I'm around know that I'm not just, I'm a pastor. So I carry that knowing that eyes are on me at all times. How do I react? How do I respond? What's my language like? What do I say? What do I not say? I know people are watching me. I'm very conscious of that, and I'm sure you are too. I love the fact that Abraham has now lived in this area for many, many years, and he's gained the respect of these people. They consider him a leader amongst them, even though he's a foreigner. He's not one of them. So notice, they say, you may bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. We'll give you the best. None of us will refuse you his tomb to prevent you from burying your dead. Abraham then got up and notice what he does. He bows down to the local people. It's a sign of respect and humility. Oh, we as God's people need to get that even humbling ourselves before those that don't know God and showing them the same respect that we expect back from them. Then he said to them, verse 8, if you agree that I may bury my dead, then hear me out. Ask Ephraim, the son of Zohar, If he will sell me the cave of Machpelah that belongs to him, it's at the end of his field. Notice something. Abraham already knew the specific property that he wanted to possess. He had already scouted out the land like, you know, I like that piece of property there. Again, what was Abraham doing before his wife died, before this operation? He was doing his part. He was already out there going, mm, man, if God was going to start giving me some of this, that's the piece of land that I want. See, that? that's how we can live in partnership with God. God will show up and do his part, but we've got to do our part too. He, he had scouted out the land and said, I want that one. And so he came ready to tell these people, well, this is the one I'm shooting for. Not like, well, I'll just take whatever. No, he was very, good. this is what I want. Will you give it to me? Let him sell it to me, notice, publicly for the full price so that I may own it as a burial site, the end of verse 9. Now, why is that important? Well, for two reasons. One, we can tie that into what David said in 1 Chronicles 21, when he was negotiating the threshing floor with Onan, the Jebusite. He said, the Jebusite said, I'll just give you this threshing floor. And Dave said, no, no, no. I'm going to build an altar to my God here. This is going to be a place of worship, and I will not offer to the Lord anything that costs me nothing. I want to pay for it, and I'm going to pay handsomely for it because it's for my God. Abraham, I think, is doing the same thing. But he's also understanding something in a very business-like manner, too. You see, the people that he was negotiating and working with, if he didn't buy it, if he didn't pay for it, then it really wasn't going to be his. They could take it back. But in their culture if he bought it if he paid for it then it's legal it's binding it's his and none of the canaanites could ever come back and say oh it's ours now we're taking it back no no he had to buy it he had to purchase it he had to pay for it in a sense he had to make a sacrifice but in doing so then he would acquire something that he would never have acquired had he not been willing to pay the price all that principle beats through our life as Christians. It may not have anything to do with physically buying something with money or material things, but the principle is true that you and I will only acquire certain things as God followers when we're willing to pay the price for it. Notice Ephraim just happened to be sitting, verse 10, around the conversation. So he overheard. And Ephraim said to Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Seth before all who entered the gate of the city, No, my lord, hear me out. I'll sell you both the field and the cave that is in it. In the presence of my people, I'll sell it to you. bury your dead." Abraham bowed before the local people again and said to Ephron, in their hearing, Hear me. If you will, I pay to you the price of the field. Take it from me so that I may bury my dead there. And Ephron answered, Abraham said, Hear me, my lord, the land is worth 400 pieces of silver. What's that between me and you? So bury your debt. So Abraham agreed to Ephraim's price, weighed out for him the price that Ephraim had quoted in the hearing of the sons of Seth, 400 pieces of silver according to the standard measurement of that day. Was that too much? I don't think so. I personally think Abraham would have paid as much as he needed to to acquire that. Number one, because it was a love gift to his wife, and number two, because it was an act and commitment of his faith to his God that God was going to show up and give him all of that land one day anyway. And this was just the first installment. Now, before we move on from this passage, I want to point this out. Notice there's some negotiating, obviously, going on, and there's back and forth there, right? One of the words that you hear all the time Is either the word listen or hear. Did you notice both of them are saying to each other all the time? Look at verse 6. Listen, sir. Then if you go down to verse 8, hear me out. Look at verse 11. Hear me out. Look at verse 13. Hear me. Verse 15. Hear me. It's the Hebrew word shama. It's I want to be heard. And you know what makes good partnerships? And you know what makes a partnership that can get somewhere and go somewhere and accomplish things? It is a partnership where both parties are listening to each other, not just talking, and where both parties feel heard. That's exactly what happened here. Both parties felt heard and both parties felt like the other was listening to them and therefore the partnership not only moved, it accomplished this, they were able to settle it in a very quick manner. Boom, there it was. Abraham secured, it says in verse 17, Ephraim's field. He sealed the deal. By the way, the word secured here is a really interesting Hebrew word. It literally means to rise, to stand. I think God chose that word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say, when you and I, like Abraham, go out and are willing to take possession of what God wants to give us, we're rising, we're standing. And that's exactly what we see Abraham doing here. And notice he's rising and standing amongst people that don't even know God as a witness. So he secured Ephraim's field in Machpelah next to Mamre and including the field, the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field and all around its border. In those days, they would mark out land by the trees. That's why trees are referenced here, as his property in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who entered the gate of Ephraim's city. And after this, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah next to Mamre, that is, Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So Abraham secured the field and the cave that was in it as a burial site from the sons of Heth, a place of hope. And by purchasing this, Abraham was not only demonstrating his commitment here to the promise of God, but in a sense, he was saying, no turning back now. I'm invested. And that's a great principle for us too. There's times where we come to places in our life where we can still sort of, I'm going up. I'm going back. Or we can sort of, as they, you know, say, I can cross the Rubicon and say, I'm not, I'm not going back anymore. And that was Abraham. In a sense, he's demonstrating such faith that he's saying, I'll never, I'll never go back. Because I'm making a commitment that I'm all in with God. I'm expressing my faith to where I, I'm, I'm cutting all ties, if you will, with my native land, here's where me and Sarah are going to be buried. But here's the other interesting thing. Abraham was not only purchasing enough land for he and Sarah to be buried in. This is enough land that we'd be sufficient for generations to come. Again, his faith, bigger than something than just him and Sarah. He's buying a piece of property in which one day Isaac and all of his family, and Jacob, and all of his family, and even Joseph, whose bones one day are going to come out of Egypt. Guess where they're going to come back to? Right here, where Abraham purchased that land. Because Abraham realized, what I'm doing isn't just about me. It's much bigger than me, and I've got to think along those lines. I've got to realize that sometimes the expression of my faith is going to include more than just me. Well, great chapter. In closing, I'd like you to turn with me so you don't have to go back to Genesis to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And I just want to read this passage and hope that it's an appropriate way, fitting way to end our study of Genesis 23 tonight. And I just want to say again, what great worship tonight. You're bringing it. We're getting there. Verse 9 of Hebrews 11, down through verse 16. Just follow along. Let some of this hit you tonight. Speaking of Abraham, by faith he lived as a foreigner in the promised land as though it were a foreign country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with firm foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even though Sarah herself was barren and he was too old, he received the ability to procreate because he regarded the one who had given the promise to be trustworthy. So in fact, children were fathered by one man, and this one as good as dead, like the number of stars in the sky and like the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. Don't miss this. These all died in faith without receiving the things promised. But they saw them in the distance and welcomed them and acknowledged that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For those who speak in such a way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. In fact, if they had been thinking of their land, their native land that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they aspire to a better land that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Lord, we thank you tonight for just the reminders in our time of worship and in our time in your word of how faithful you are to your people, for how much you can be trusted, God, how much you can be relied upon and depended upon. upon. God, if we would just learn to rest in confident, expectant faith, knowing that you will show up. You've never went back on any promise. You cannot lie. God, may we just believe in you and trust in you more and more. And maybe here tonight, from someone who's watching from their home tonight to someone who's here in this auditorium tonight, maybe they're going through it, God. And they just needed the strength of worship and the strength of the word to just say, you know what? God, I'm going to rest in you. I haven't seen it fulfilled yet. I haven't seen your provision come in yet. But God, I trust you. And so I'm going to rest in you and renew my strength. I'm going to wait on you. Lord, I just pray for all of us tonight, no matter where we're at, that, Lord, we can all trust you more than we do right now. And so, Lord, just increase our faith. Even as Nicole prayed, I I thought that same thing. Lord, you're just... You have us in a season right now in our church where you just want your people here at the Oasis to just increase our faith in you. So, Lord, may we allow you to do that. May we allow you, Lord, to build our faith and build up our faith so that we can trust you for more and more. We can trust you for anything and everything. We can trust you for the small things, and we can trust you for the big things and everything in between. Thank you, God, for being here tonight and giving us such a special night together with you. We look forward to bringing us back on Sunday. And God, for those gals that are going up to Prescott for the retreat this weekend, God, would you give them traveling mercies as they go up and down the highway this weekend? Would you give them a, just a precious time together? And God, may you give us a very special Sunday as we who can come back here into this auditorium or view from our homes and meet with you in your house once again. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.